0: People it's are strange. Strange. It's strange. Is
1: that strange? That is strange. It's strange. That well, is strange. Well,
0: that is strange.
1: This is
2: strange. Strange. Floyd Brown, welcome to the show.
0: Great to be with you, Greg.
2: Yeah, thanks for being on, man. So right away, let's just tell everybody, who are you? What do you got going on and why are you doing it?
0: Well, I... Uh have uh, been in politics for about 40 years. I actually met Ronald Reagan when I was a freshman in high school, if you can believe that. Wow, man. Yeah. He asked me to get uh, Mrs. Reagan a glass of water. So I did it and it kind of changed my life. Okay. By 1980, I was working full time in his campaign. I was, uh, uh, I think, 19 at the time. I went back to college, graduated in 1983 and when I graduated, I wanted nothing more than to be part of the what we called the Reagan revolution back then. And that was in uh, 1983. And, and so I loaded all my belongings in the back of my 1981 uh, Mustang uh, T-top and uh, drove from Seattle, which is where I was from, all the way to Washington, D.C., and I took a job in the Reagan administration. Uh, had a lot of great jobs over the years uh, in DC. I left DC in 96 to become a full-time talk show host back in Seattle. And that was kind of my promise to my wife that we would only be gone for a few years. And after about 12, she said, it's time to move home. So we moved moved home to Seattle. And, and then in 2008, I started Western Journal, which is an online news site. And I've been running that since 2008. And This is my seventh book, but I think by far my most important book. Mm. And, uh, it, it has some really important messages. Uh, And, and fundamentally over the last three years, Americans have had to deal with a series of unbelievable false narratives. And those false narratives have a purpose. It's to make Americans feel isolated and to make them feel alone. And, uh, powerless they you know the 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 media elite and the government elite want us to feel powerless but the message of my book is you have power and i talk about how you can exercise that power we were granted by our founders some of the most beautiful gifts one of them's called the bill of rights it's 10 amendments to the constitution all of which empower everybody within the sound of my voice So the whole idea is to empower people to get back in the game, get off the couch, and we can fix this country together.
2: Yeah, no, I I totally love it. Um, I always say, you know, I thought Trump winning the election woke me up and woke up uh, America, but it was actually Trump losing the election that really sparked everybody back into action. You know what I mean? It's like, whoa, wait, what? How did Trump lose? You know what I mean?
0: Well, so first of all, you, you have to understand, uh, the Marxist left and, uh, conservative and Christian people, they look at government completely differently. And, uh, part of this has to do with the fact that liberals worship government. Mm. I mean, it is, they idolize government. The government is the solution to their problems.
2: It's like their religion, right?
0: (laughs) it, it, It is their religion. And so, um, when you understand that, you, you realize that's why they run for every school board race, why they want to be part of every parks district, every town council meeting, uh, you know, every small position, they fill them out because that's part of their worship. Why, you know, we might be involved in, you know, a soup kitchen or a rescue mission or uh, some kind of fostering program through our churches or other charities. Uh, they're busy in government and working in government. And and uh, conservatives, we always want to just fix things and then go home to our families. Because mm-hmm. what we are really motivated by is spending time with our kids, working in our jobs, our businesses, our small businesses many times. And, and we don't want to have anything to do with government. So, yeah. you know, that's why we we have to kind of reorient ourselves and think about the fact that we need a a sustained effort. It can't just be, hey, Donald Trump rode in on his white horse in 2016 to Washington, D.C. Everything's fixed. We can all go home. No, that's not how it works. That's the beginning of the game.
2: Exactly. Yeah, and that's, that's what I was kind of referring to is when Trump won, it was like, oh, Hey, he might turn everything around, but then it's like, so,
0: so, you know, I've been through four wave elections in my life. The first, you know, the Reagan revolution, we thought things were going to systemically change and we really believed it. And then, um, you know, uh, he did some great things and he was a great president. The Berlin wall came down and we made some progress, but then Bill Clinton got elected. And uh, then we had the next big wave election, which was Newt Gingrich in the contract for America. Mm. And uh, we thought that was going to change the country because we had the House of Representatives and we had the control of the finances of the country. And we thought, well, we'll use the Ways and Means Committee and the financing of the country. We'll really change things. And they did some good. But then, you know, time moves on. And all of a sudden, uh, Barack Obama's president and uh, and uh, things haven't really changed so then we get what we call the tea party movement which was another big massive wave election i was running western journal at the time in 2009 when the tea party started i participated in no less than 50 tea party rallies around the country and uh You know, we thought, wow, you know, we're going to have another wave election and we're going to win big and we're going to change things. And we got the wave election and we got Congress, but things didn't really change. And then the MAGA election, which, you know, for you was 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 important and and it it was important. But still, we weren't able to change things because we're fighting a uniparty in Washington, D.C. That's a very difficult and wily enemy.
2: Yeah. And I mean, I even Trump has referred to them as the deep state. Right. It's the uh, the long term Democrat or not just Democrats, but politicians, long term bureaucrats who aren't even elected, to be honest. I mean, Fauci's of the world, you know, that are filling these positions that nobody elected them in. We don't even know about half of them. Right.
0: So there's a reason that the five richest counties in America surround Washington, D.C., And the reason is is because government is extremely lucrative and um, power is extremely lucrative. And uh, Washington, D.C. attracts all the worst people, to be honest with you. And uh, I had a good friend and mentor young in my career, a a guy named Stan Evans and uh, or or M. Stanton Evans was his full name. But uh, he wrote a lot of great books over over time. But uh, he said something to me back in 1987 that stuck with me for years. He says, you know, Floyd, before we came to Washington, we knew this place was a cesspool. And uh, then, you know, we we were here a couple of years and and then we realized, well, it's actually a hot tub. Mm. And and this is what happens to people. Uh, I've seen, you know. Congressman after congressman come to Washington, D.C., with really great ideas and really great motives, and they're good people. But that first year, they make just a tiny little compromise. And then, you know, a year after that, or two years after that, they make a little bit bigger compromise. And then they wake up eight or 10 years later and they've become what they went to Washington to stop. And And so uh, we've got to fix that. And the only way to fix it is by systemically changing the way our government operates. And the founders gave us a path to do that. It's called the 10th Amendment. That means we send all of this government back to the states and not have it concentrated in Washington, D.C. If it's back at the states, it's much closer to us and we can have a whole lot more impact on it.
2: So uh, like through your time... In uh, the political arena, when did you notice the shift of that power uh, becoming so condensate or, uh, I guess, condensed in yeah. the Washington, well, D.C.? I, I,
0: I, I, what you're asking me is when did when did I get red pilled?
2: I guess. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh, oh
0: I, I forgot. The FBI said saying the word. Oh, yeah, that's right. We're now terrorists is, now. Ah! Yeah, it's a, it, it's a trigger word. So, yeah, I shouldn't have said it.
2: It's all good, man. We we uh, we know.
0: Sorry. Um, no, but uh, don't apologize. You know, it's fine. It, you know, I was very fortunate to have some really strong mentors. I mentioned um, one of them was a was a uh, a gentleman by the name of Stan Evans. Another was uh, a, a former state representative from my home state of Washington. Uh, his name was Glenn Dobbs and uh, and others that really opened my eyes early to the problems that we had and kind of the cancer that was metastasizing inside of the U.S. government. And it all had to do with power. Uh, You know, power is unbelievably intoxicating. And, you know, as a young man, uh, I worked for Ronald Reagan and then later I worked for Bob Dole. So imagine me, I'm in my 20s and I'm climbing on and off of a Gulf Stream, right? and i'm flying private well not because of me but because of my bosses who i'm traveling with mm-hmm. and and when i traveled with them, i stayed in all of the nicest hotels and properties all over the the really the world because uh, i did travel all over the world and uh uh you know y- you get used to that lifestyle and it's 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 unbelievably intoxicating fortunately for me I had a relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm a Christian, and that made it so that um, you know I always had a conscience. He was always, you know. Telling yeah, you actually
2: me, had morality, and you, and you had a moral bad, compass. Can't do
0: that, and I was listening to that. And so, by the time it got to 1996, I said to my wife, who uh, is really, you know. She's 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 been with me now for it'll be 40 years in September. Congratulations. I said to her in 1996, I said, I have to get out of this town or I'm going to lose my soul. Mm. And uh, so we just picked up and moved, which is kind of, you know, I think unique a lot of people once they get locked into that dc lifestyle they just stay yeah and but i turned my back on it because i for me my relationship with jesus christ is the most important thing and you know i want uh, w- when when jesus comes back and ta- and, and and says hey floyd uh, it's time to account i want him to know that i had a list and he was the only one on it jesus that's all that was important to me. And so that's why I left DC. And and really, that's part of why I wrote this book, because I want to get Christians uh, to, to claim the rightful spot that they should have in the governing of the country.
2: Now, do you think that, um, I mean, because we've seen it, the slow kind of drip of just removal of uh, anything to do with god anything to do with jesus uh the slow removal i mean they're they're wanting to take god out of the pledge of allegiance and so i think that's done on purpose i think that's the the first step into uh indoctrinating society into a marxist revolution is you you have to remove the religious aspect and fill it with government science you name it
0: yeah and and America doesn't work without God. So Hmm. you have to realize uh, when you read our founding documents and you read the Declaration of Independence, you're going to find it comes right out of the book of Deuteronomy. So our traditions require a moral citizenry because uh, if you're going to, if if you're going to have a large level of self-government, then it requires people to be internally governed and they're internally governed when they have a relationship with a transcendent being. And because they understand they're accountable to someplace besides themselves. Mm -hmm. And, and, uh, so you're absolutely right. As they strip away God, they strip away, um, really the foundation for our governing documents, the foundation for the Declaration of Independence, the, the Constitution, uh, both of which uh, by the way, mention God. So the the, the the truth is is that, you know if they're able to strip God out of America, then America won't work anymore. And and it will be just like uh, Rome, it will the Republic will pass away and we'll get some form of tyrannical dictatorial governance, which is really what the left wants. I mean, that's that's what Marxism is, is a dictatorship of the small group of elites that tell everybody else how to live their lives. And just remember this, that the only thing that saved the world from dictatorship was America. And, you know, we saved it from we saved this, uh, the, the Europe from Nazi Germany, and then we saved Europe again from communist Soviet Russia. And without America, I believe the whole world becomes dominated by a small elite in a globalist dictatorship.
2: So do you think that that is the main issue, is that the leaders at the top have been slowly indoctrinated over time, and then that just has it like a trickle-down effect into the local yeah. systems?
0: Well, I I think, um, you know, they have been influencing um, the schools for a long, long time. Mm -hmm. I mean, the Marxists targeted our schools. They targeted the teachers unions. And uh, and then there was a couple of early Supreme Court decisions which took prayer out of school one and then a second one that attacked the Bible in school. Remember, schools in america were founded for the purpose of teaching people to read so that they could read the bible mm. and in fact they used the bible as a textbook for many many years and it, and that's how people learned to read was 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 through the bible and and the purpose of the schools was so that they could read the bible and get this relationship with god so if if uh um, you know, if they're able to strip that out of the schools, then all of a sudden, all of the, the young people no longer have this anchor to more them. And frankly, that's one of the reasons that our, our current younger generations have a lot of issues because there's, I believe in each person, a God space, right? There's a hole and only God can fill that hole. And, uh, Americans have been trying to shove everything else they can into that hole whether it be pornography or sex or drugs or uh you know other things partying it but it doesn't it never fills that hole the only thing that will give people the kind of peace and satisfaction that they actually desire and actually want is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ
2: gotcha And so that's that's really just the uh, the main thesis of your book, Counterpunch, that you're putting out right now.
0: Well, what I what I do, um, you know, my my book is not while I I, you know, I'm a pretty open Christian, as you can see from what I'm saying. But uh, my book is not, you know, I wouldn't call it a, you know, Christian book. It's it's really a book intended to talk about these false narratives and then to give people a plan to fight back. And um, I really I focus on what I would call a, a, ho- a hyper local strategy. And that is that um, the first thing people need to do is get to know their neighbors again. Yeah. You know, we were all put on house arrest and we were told, you know, you can't come out of your house. I know you're in a sauna right now. You oh, probably yes.
2: Very couldn't strange even come your- out
0: of your sauna during COVID.
2: Yeah. Right. It was pretty <laughs> relaxing in here. You know, this uh, skeleton kept me company. So
0: I mean, uh, we have some great houses in the country, but 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 it, it created an isolation. People need to live in community. They have to have relationships with other people, and so the first thing I encourage people to do is reconnect with their neighbors, reconnect with their community, reconnect with uh, your church uh, or your synagogue or schools, uh, hmm?
2: your schools as well, right?
0: And your and your schools, right? And then and then. In that process, meet other people who think like you and start working together to impact and occupy that community you're in right there. And you can change your community.
2: Yeah. So, as far as um, like local involvement with politics and stuff, what, like, where do people start? Like, if somebody's listening to this and they go, you know, I really, this is exciting, I want to get started. What's like? Yeah, the so, I talk aspect. about
0: in the book a, a friend of mine who wasn't a friend of mine a couple of years ago, but he is a good friend now. His name's Basil Firminos. Mm. And Basil got upset because they were trying to make him wear a mask everywhere and he just wasn't going to have any of it. So, he got so fed up with these mask mandates that finally, at one point, he got on his mobile phone and he texted 50 of his friends and he said, Meet me for coffee. And there's a local coffee shop called the Amped Coffee Shop where he said, let's meet there. And, uh, and so he texted 50 people, which is a lot of people, but amazingly, 250 people showed up at his meeting Mm. and, uh, that birthed an organization called the North Valley constitutional, uh, citizens. And, um, they have been working together ever since, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, they meet every other Monday night. Um, They have, they still have coffee and uh, they meet at the same coffee shop, amped Amped coffee, but now, you know, they branched out, you know, they beat the mask mandate. So now, you know, they worked in the school board races, had a big impact there. They've worked in local legislative races and they've gotten involved in the process. And So what I what my first step, the first thing that I encourage everybody to do is, number one, find out if you've got a group like that that already exists in your community. If it does, join it. If it doesn't, text some friends, get together for coffee and launch your own. And it needs to be organic and it needs to be local and um, it needs to be regular. And it, it and uh, it's amazing. So Basil now has all the politicians coming to him, mm-hmm. you know, and he gets. Uh, uh, well, during the during the the big races that we had back during the midterms, I mean, Carrie Lake, the candidate for governor, showed yeah. up, and Blake Masters, the candidate for Senate, showed up, and Mark Fincham, the candidate for Secretary of State, showed up, and all these different state Senate and legislative, they all showed up and. And, and they were wanting the input of these people. It's all just because Basil got upset about the mask mandates right. and, and, and did a group text.
2: Yeah. So, you know, uh, that's, that's funny you bring that up. Um, so I am from southern Washington as well. Um, I know you mentioned Seattle. I went to the University of Washington for a couple of years, graduated with my bachelor's up there. Um, So
0: I did the same thing. I graduated Olympia High School.
2: used to be beautiful, uh, you know, and now it's uh, overrun by homeless populations. But we have this.
0: uh, I'm going to tell you something. When I graduated from high school in 1979, Olympia had a Republican majority on the city council.
2: No way. I don't believe it. It's true. (laughs) It's like, when? When does that ever happen? Never. Yeah. Yeah. Good old blue Washington. Well, I mean, during the mandates. We
0: had a Republican governor, John Spellman.
2: When was this?
0: Yeah, in the in the early 80s. During, okay. He came in with Reagan.
2: I get you. And then it just all went downhill from there?
0: Uh, it, it did.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, so in southern Washington, there's actually a stronghold. It's a Republican, like Cowlitz County area. It's a nice Republican um, stronghold for the state, I feel like. And yeah. During in fact, the... that
0: state representative that I told you about mm-hmm. that used to be a state representative years and years ago, he represented Lewis County.
2: Oh, okay. Wow. That's so, shocking. I yeah. That's, that's, cool.
0: a, that's, a, that's, a, that's always been the kind of the conservative, uh, heartbeat of Washington is Lewis, Cowlitz and Southwest Washington.
2: Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I mean, we had our own people's movement here as well when the mandates were really kind of ramping up and, I, uh, you know, uh, my buddies and I, who were on Pardon My American podcast, we went down to the local hospitals because they were mandating the shots for all of the uh, the heroes. Right, yesterday's heroes, today's villains, because they're not taking the mandated uh, experiment. So, nonetheless, uh, we were kind of helping, you know, support them. And all of a sudden, a guy walks up with a pamphlet and he says, "We have a movement. Come join us. It's every Thursday." You know, we we have uh, fifty plus people now and we went and it's it was growing I think it's still growing but we had local politicians show up um I know um Kent Joe Kent showed up there um there was one that we interviewed and He
0: probably won that election by the way
2: right I feel like yeah. he did but hey you know it's uh, everything's a little weird when it comes to elections right now and so uh, speaking of that what do you think about elections like how when somebody's super black pilled and they go what's the point? This whole system is rigged. And it's like, is the whole system rigged or is it just in specific locations? You know what I mean? Well, I I think,
0: um, first of all, um, I think that there there is a lot of rigging in the system and there's a lot of corruption in the system and that corruption has to come out. Mm -hmm. But the way it's going to come out is by us getting more people, getting more united and really working from the local level. So fundamentally, your county can control elections or should control elections. But the state has been trying to grab all the power in the elections by by doing these mail ballots. And and one of the things the left's always trying to do is centralize things. Hey, when I was young, we used to vote by precincts. We would vote in our precincts and then they would count the votes in the precinct. And a precinct was pretty small. Mm -hmm. So you had all these precincts all over the state that were counting the vote. And so it was completely decentralized. So even if they could steal it in a couple of different precincts up in King County or what have you, because it was such a dispersed system, they couldn't rig it totally until they centralized it. Then when it was centralized in one place, all of a sudden one place could have corruption and they could corrupt the entire, you know, county or, Um, you know, an entire uh, area. So that's, that's why we always have to fight for local control and cities can, counties can um, exercise power in that. And uh, I talk about in the book, there is a Christian doctrine called the doctrine of interposition. And while it's kind of technical, basically, it's, it really boils down to this, a lower level official, or they might be called a magistrate, um, can resist unconstitutional, unlawful, and immoral edicts from above. They not only have a right to do that, they actually have an affirmative duty to do that. And Hmm. so, um, under Christian doctrine. So, What I also wanted to do was with this hyper local um, focus is let people know, hey, if they take over their town, their town mayor and their town council has within their power the ability to resist mandates from uh, the governor or from the president or from uh, whatever other upper dictator is trying to cram down their throats. And this is very central to democracy because it goes all the way back to the Magna Carta where uh, the local magistrates got together and told King John at the time, uh, and this goes back to the 1200s, that you can't have total power. Hmm. So, so uh, that's when we first started limiting the um, power of the king or the power of the chief or the power of the top guy. Because up until that time, power equated governance. Okay. It was always the toughest bully, the biggest guy, the top gang leader that controlled the government. Mm-hmm. That's the way it worked. And 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 we changed all of that. And that's why America is such a special place. We actually had the ability of the citizens to control who governed them. And we're going back to a place where the bullies are now using government to to practice the most bullying they can on people down the food chain. And what I wanted to do was let people lower on the food chain know that they have a right to fight back against that. Now, and they have a right to fight back, but peacefully. And so one of the things I do is I quote extensively uh, the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr., who, uh, you know, had some wonderful writings during the civil rights movement where he talks about these very issues and where they used civil disobedience and peaceful civil disobedience very effectively to end Jim Crow, and to end a lot of the things like, uh, you know, you had to sit on the back of the bus, or you couldn't go and use a certain restroom, you couldn't use a certain drinking fountain, you know, that this, this
2: uh, whole
0: separate, yeah. but, but equal kind of idea. And uh, ironically, it's the left that's trying to bring that back now. With right? CRT
2: Isn't it? I mean, it's like, it's unbelievable when you look at, okay, it's like a hierarchy, right? You have uh, you know, you might be gay, but if you're gay and you're black, you might be a little higher than gay and white. And then it's just, uh, you know, who sits right. at the top of the so uh, the social credit hierarchy, right?
0: Well, right. They they uh, and they and they're and they're always talking about the power structure, and um, they call it intersectionality, is what yes. they actually call it. Yep. You know, the the most if I'm a you know black lesbian transgender who immigrated from Malawi, I'm better than, you know, the white guy that was born here.
2: Yeah. Yes, indeed. So as far as, um, coming up with Western journal, how did you come up with the idea and how tough was that to actually insert yourself into this mainstream, um, you know, media circle, you know?
0: Well, um, Western Journal, I wouldn't call it mainstream media, but what it was, was I've always uh, been really interested in media and I worked as a radio talk show host. Mm -hmm. And so basically I started blogging in in, uh, 2007. And what I would do is I would just blog about what I would have talked about on the radio had I been on the radio that day it was kind of just something to make me feel good, get it all off my chest. Yeah. And uh I started doing it and and uh my son who was at college at the time and in, in 2008 he said, "Hey dad, have you ever heard of this thing called Facebook?" And Facebook had just opened up to people that weren't in college. Until 2008, you had to you had to be in college to be a member of uh, Facebook. So they opened it up to the general public and I joined early on. And, and so, you know, I just started posting my blogs there and people wanted to read them. And so they read them and they read them some more and pretty soon there was more demand. And so I, I said to my friends, this was about the time the Huffington post was created and, and the, the innovation of the Huffington post was, it was a multi-blog blog Instead of just a blog, it was a lot of people blogging together. So I invited some of my friends to start blogging, and then uh, it, it grew and grew and grew to the point where I had to actually start hiring reporters because I couldn't ask my friends to write, you know, three or four articles a day, gotcha. uh, seven days a week. And so, that's what we do now. We produce but about forty to forty to forty-five pieces of content seven days a week.
2: So what was that uh, like in like, how do you ensure to get writers that aren't just extremely biased towards one side of the story and that they kind of fairly present the whole?
0: Well, We vet everybody and everything very thoroughly. And if they don't work out, they hit the bricks.
2: Well, and it's super challenging. I mean, I'm sure you've been labeled as like a far-right extremist or far-right, you know, whatever it is, as our podcast so So
0: another lesson that I learned early in my career is when they start attacking you with labels like that, it means you're over the target. Mm -hmm. So um, you are, you know, that actually encourages me. So the more they attack me, and, um, you know, the New York Times, I think, has done like four different pieces where I've been on the front page of the New York times over, over the 40 years I've been involved. And, uh, uh, what, what you learn from that is that actually, um, all PR is pretty good PR. And, uh, the truth is is that when they start calling you names, they do it because they don't want to deal with your arguments.
2: Yeah. Well, that's a good point. And you bring up something that I wanted to ask you about is, um, How can people, when they're reading articles, how can they sift through disinformation and how can they actually know exactly what the true side of the story is?
0: Yeah. So I actually tell people that the number one thing they can do to be able to discern truth is to read the Bible. Mm. The Bible is a big book. It's got a lot of stories in there and most of the stories are about truth and Falsehood or truth and sin or you know waywardness and coming back to God and uh, it's it's a great gauge and and if you discern His Word, it will allow you to discern what's going on around you. So I I say if you're confused, step back, Mm -hmm. read the Bible, spend some time in Scripture. You don't have to read the news every day.
2: Oh yeah, totally. I agree. Um,
0: you know, you can get too much news. Uh yeah. and and it's important to protect yourself from from too much news. Uh
2: but as far as uh just like trigger words like that you you can just pick yeah, you, out you, you, like you, that are you opinion- start
0: understanding it. The more you know, the more you focus on it, the more discerning you'll become and and uh and you know, also I say with politicians, and this is really clear don't listen to what they say watch what they do Mm -hmm. it's much easier to understand a politician if you see what they're doing rather than listening to what they say because politicians are the very best liars
2: absolutely yeah yeah. Yeah, i learned
0: that lesson all the way back in 1992 when i was writing my very first book it was called slick willy why uh, why america cannot trust bill clinton And uh, when I wrote that book, I spent quite a bit of time in Arkansas and there was a chief justice of the Supreme Court there, Judge Jim Johnson, who said something to me about Bill Clinton way back then that uh, really now I think it applies to most politicians, but it really helped me understand Bill Clinton. He uh, he said, listen to what Bill Clinton says and then know that he's doing the exact opposite.
2: Right. It's just like Joe Biden today.
0: And, and, and then y- you, you really can figure things out.
2: So uh, through your years of the political arena as well, um, you, were, you were mentioning at the beginning of this conversation that you've noticed that, you know, you have this big swell of a movement come in, like the Tea Party, for example, and then you get uh, the change in Congress. You get everybody in the right places at the right time. Everything looks like it's about to change and then nothing changes. And so... What do you do you see that there's like some hope right now going forward with this? Change I actually do.
0: You know, I um, I believe that Donald Trump is going to be the Republican nominee, despite the fact of everything they're throwing at him. Mm-hmm. And I think that he has learned so much over the course of the last seven to eight years that in this second term of his, he's going to have the ability to do more. Because of the lessons he learned when he lost, and then why he lost, so uh, you know I'm 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 actually hopeful. I'm hopeful he's going to win, and I'm hopeful that a whole new group of people are going to be there to support him. I believe that there are a number of demographic groups. Black men are one of them. Not so much black women, but black men are one of them, and Hispanics. And Asians. All three of those groups, I believe, have the potential to vote for Donald Trump in much greater numbers than they did in 2016. Now they did vote for him in greater numbers in, in uh 2020. And um, you know, it, it still wasn't enough, but but I believe, you know, to win these elections, you gotta you gotta have a wave that's big enough to overcome the cheating. At a certain point, they can't cheat. So what and, what uh, makes you
2: say that you think that he was going to win those demographics this time around?
0: I, I think he's going to make great progress. I think he's going to go into the black community and he's going to say, you know, this justice system is rigged. You guys have been saying that for a long time. Guess what? I know it now and I'll reform it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, there are certain things that he's been saying. It is. Uh, well, he's his first rally, the Waco rally. Um, I know that he plans on limiting the amount of time le the uh the terms he puts terms limits on people in Congress. I really like that because then he can't just have lifelong politicians,
0: yeah and we um, have to eliminate whole departments of government yeah absolutely. so there's there's no reason that education should be run out of washington d c yep there's no reason why parks. Um, You know, you live in Washington state, there's no reason why the people of Washington can't keep Mount Rainier and the Olympic Peninsula, beautiful parks. Yeah, I mean, uh, why, why does it have to be a quote, national park run by the national government? Mm hmm. Why, why do you need um, an interior department to own property all over the Western United States? You don't. These states are capable of doing it themselves. And in fact, that's what the founders envisioned. So we need to go through Washington and just eliminate things like the Department of Agriculture, the Department of Commerce, the Department of Energy, all of these different departments. Government in D.C. fundamentally should do two things, protect and secure the national border, something it's not currently doing, and protect us from foreign threats. And and everything else should be run in the states.
2: Yeah. Do you think Trump has plans to dissociate many of those government run programs?
0: Uh you know, I I um I think that he would make great steps towards that. I don't know if it could all be done in one term. Yeah but i think he would get us back on a path that would be a much better path greg than we're currently on
2: yeah no i agree um the one thing that he said that i do have concerns that might uh, like pose some some issues with his uh his voter base is that the uh the mass deportation of mexicans he was saying that they was going to just uh totally just have ice out there and deport everybody who's illegally here. And you know, that's that's great for those who are illegally here, but I feel like that can be misconstrued and the the media will pounce on that. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. Well, and uh uh I think you know uh the truth is is that most of the immigration now coming in isn't from Mexico okay the mexicans that want to be in america are already here yeah okay it's it's groups from around the globe it's uh it's true you know venezuelans haitians uh chinese we have literally thousands of military age men that are chinese coming across our southern border what's this all about yeah so you know um He, he, I, you know, I think he's got some great ideas and I think there are especially a lot of criminals that need to be deported, but, um, you know, whether or not he would deport everyone, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know that, but, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a great place to start.
2: Well, so the, the main concern for me is that the media, it has not been addressed. Right. And, uh, you know, having Elon Musk take over Twitter, that was a great start. But-
0: yeah, but even that hasn't changed things. I, I go extensively. So my last book was called Big Tech Tyrants. Mm-hmm. And so that's something I'm very familiar with. And I go through an entire plan on how to deal deal with big tech. And, and I basically call for breaking up all of our major tech companies, including Microsoft and Facebook and or meta, whatever it's called now, uh, Apple, uh, Google, these companies need to be broken up. They have too much power and they uh, exercise too much control over the public square and they need to be broken up. There's no reason for Instagram and Facebook to be in the same company. Those Mm -hmm. are effectively standalone companies anyway. So I would definitely advocate um, breaking those companies up into a lot of tiny bits.
2: Yeah. And because I mean, that was one of Trump's genius moves is, I mean, using Twitter as a campaign platform and really just getting, you know, yeah.
0: Twi- and Twitter Twitter is the least objectionable of these and the smallest actually. Um, and, uh, but uh, the, the, the truth is, is that these companies have way too much control Twitter's, you know, much smaller than any of those other companies. That's why Elon Musk was able to buy it, you Mm. know, because he he wouldn't have even had the resources to buy a Microsoft or an Apple or a Facebook or these other Google, these other behemoths that are Amazon that are literally trillion dollar companies. So I get you. I think we could break those companies up and and they it could it could be really good for the country too, because we get a lot more competition than we have currently,
2: okay. Have you had any pushback from like the app store or anything like that with the Western Journal app?
0: Oh, I've had unbelievable pushback from big tech. I mean, Western Journal had like a billion page views in twenty sixteen before Trump was elected, and Facebook took my traffic down um, you know, a full 90%. So mm-hmm. I went from a billion to a hundred million. Yeah. And so that's a, that's a huge drop in traffic. Uh, and, uh, I've been fighting with big tech since then. They're, they're, they're one of the most nefarious, uh, and evil groups in our country right now. And, and, uh, I talk about that extensively in the book. I you a uh, counterpunch.
2: Uh, as far as uh, getting involved with schools and school boards and whatnot, what's been like your experience with promoting, uh, you know, activism with uh, getting on your local election boards or your school boards and stuff like that?
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's great. There's we, We've actually did really well during these last midterm elections and school board races all over the country and school boards are dramatically changing. Uh, There's also this whole idea of charter schools, which I think is really important. There's Mm. no reason for a single monolithic public school system to run every school in the country. That's a monopoly that needs to be broken up. And it is being slowly broken up by charter schools and private schools and by having the money go with the students rather than to the school.
2: Yeah, no. And that's uh, I know Trump is a big advocate for that.
0: Yeah, and, and I am too, and I, I talk about that in the book, Counterpunch.
2: As far as uh, bringing the Bible back into uh, scholarly lessons and just like faith overall, is that something that you would... Yeah, promote? no, know. I'm a
0: big supporter of that. I mean, the Bible is, I think, the greatest book ever written. It's also one of the most interesting books ever written, yeah. and uh, it has... Uh, Whenever whenever anybody says to me, hey, the Bible's boring, it just shows to me they haven't read the Bible because you have everything in the Bible. Every kind of, you know, sexual sin to every kind of corrupt practice to every kind of business. I mean, it all happens in the Bible. The Bible is extremely interesting and you can learn amazing things from it.
2: For sure. Okay. So awesome. Well, so to close this out, I mean main takeaways from your book if i read your book how's it, it, yeah. how it going to change me
0: get off the couch get into the game that's my number one takeaway you don't sit around and say and moan and bemoan things become part of the solution your founders gave you some wonderful tools one of them's freedom of speech Exercise them. They will take them away unless you exercise them.
2: Um, yeah, I agree. I think that's what they're slowly trying to do step by step, day by day, is take away your rights, take away your money, and then eventually they'll take away everything they have. <laughs> yeah.
0: You, you, Greg, you got a lot of wisdom in that <laughs> sentence right there.
2: Yeah. Perfect. Well, yeah, Floyd Brown, thank you so much for joining the show. Where can people find you?
0: Well, uh, I'm on Twitter at Floyd Brown. I'm obviously at the Western Journal, so westernjournal.com. And uh, right now, you know, just uh, go to Amazon and order a, a copy of Counterpunch. And and uh, I think you'll you'll find it to be a, a, a really worthwhile read.
2: Heck yeah. Well, yeah, I appreciate everything that you're doing here, Floyd. And then uh, also just thank you so much for joining me today. It was a pleasure talking with you.
0: Well, it was my pleasure, Greg, and I look forward to talking to you again. Stay active. Keep fighting. Those kids of yours are important, and you're fighting for them so that they can have the same freedom that you've had.
2: Absolutely. All right. Until next time, everybody. God bless.